everyone. Well, this is Sandcast Beach Volleyball with Triborn and Travis Muerta. We are brought to you, uh, as always, by our good friends at Wilson Volleyball, which make a perfect gift around this time of year, especially it's off-season. Everyone's got to restock up on some volleyballs. And uh, we have with us Angie Akers, who has just got a pretty cool promotion as a head coach, uh, the new coach of the A-team, April Ross and Alex Kleiman. How are we doing, Ange? Pretty good. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. And you, uh, you just got back from Brazil. Um, and I know we were kind of just briefly chatting um, about that trip uh, before we came on. But how did uh, how'd you guys like plan that trip out? Because right now it's like traveling is obviously like kind of a difficult thing to do. What made you guys want to go to Brazil for a little off-season training camp? Yeah, well, we kind of divided the end of 2020 up into two different training blocks. And um, we wanted some things to look forward to in each one. So in the first block, we held a little mini tournament in Hermosa Beach, and we got eight teams together and um, guaranteed everybody to play two matches each day for three days in a row. And we had refs and a little bit of prize money. And um, so it was something to look forward to and compete. And it, it worked out really well. We were pretty excited about it. Um, then we took a week off and we started the second training block. And again, we wanted something to look forward to. And we thought like, why not go down to Brazil? They're open. Their athletes are competing right now in tournaments. So they're in mid season form. Um, things are open so we could actually like get good training with teams that are, you know, and training hard right now. So, um, we thought like, Hey, let's look into it. And we booked tickets pretty quickly. It was relatively inexpensive and, uh, you know, just decided to go for it. And it turned out to be really awesome just to experience um, two weeks of a totally different style of training, um, playing with, you know, top teams and kind of in their, their world and their environment. Um, yeah. And also it was important for us too to get to know each other better. Yeah. Um, it was our first time traveling all together as a group and staying together. So cooking at the uh, apartment and um, just all those different things that, you know, when you're on the road, it's, it's different than just going home to your, your house in California. So yeah. Yeah. I think it was a really good bonding experience, um, getting to know each other better and also just got really great training. So uh, we just got back from that and then we'll finish up this week and then we take a Christmas, uh, like a five week break before we start up again. Oh, yeah, nice. There we go. I was I was waiting to hear when the A team would take a break and make me feel better about myself for uh, <laughs> taking a long break. I'm like, damn, one week. Uh, no, no yeah. that's awesome though. I mean, it makes sense. April's kind of always been like that, right? She just doesn't want to stop. And right now is such a tricky time. Um, yeah, it's like a, it's, it's just it's. You just kind of like create everything by yourself right now. It's actually a good time to like separate yourself from the crowd, I feel like. Yeah, I think so too. It's it's a time you really have to um, be creative and find your own motivation and figure out the things that are going to, you know, get you out there every day to keep getting better. And April definitely has no lack of motivation. I mean, the girl is a, a machine. She works so yeah. incredibly hard. And, For um, sure. Yeah, so we, we know we need time off too. We need the body and mind to rest and, and recover and get ready for a long, hard um, 2021. So 
um, you know, we've worked really hard to get to the point where we are now. We feel like we're in, in good shape and playing well and all that. And then yeah. it's time to shut it down again. So right. that in and of itself is also difficult. You know, like just you've worked so hard to get to a point and we haven't had tournaments to kind of get that reward either. You know, normally at the end of a season, yeah. you've had tournaments and you've got results and all those things. So you're, you've experienced all those things and now it's just training blocks. So it's just, it's like all the hard work without so much of the reward. Um, right. So it is a little different, um, but I think they're doing a, a great job of staying motivated and just wanting to get better and, and stay at it. And I've been really impressed with uh, with both April and Alex's motivation. How is the like competitiveness out there in um, Brazil? Because the other teams, you weren't actually in their competitions, right? So you're just training against them. Yeah, we weren't allowed to compete on their tour. We asked if we could compete, right. but I think, I don't know exactly what it is, if it's the year before or the year of the Olympics, they don't allow foreign teams to, to play on the tour. Oh, so oh. we weren't allowed to participate, but um, in the pre-practices leading up, you know, we could still train with the teams. And what was really interesting too, is that they each kind of have their own training facilities and center. So it's not like Hermosa Beach where everybody goes and you can see all the pros. It's you know, like Agatha and Duda have their own court at a beach club. And Salida <laughs> and uh, Carol have their court and also another court at a beach club. So there's not a whole lot of crossover. And I don't think it's very common that they practice with and against each other as much as it's normal for us Americans to do that. Um, so we right, really, huh? yeah, so we went down and, and scheduled with all the different teams that were down there. And Brandy and Heather, the Canadians, uh, were down there as well. So we got in a couple training sessions with them too. Um, but yeah, it was just a really cool experience to see how how they, they do it. It's just different. And it, the one really nice thing too is that every practice had five coaches plus Plus yeah. me. So there were six coaches at every single training session and there was never a moment of like inefficiency. It was, uh, right. that was really impressive too. Yeah. Oh, You're making me want to go more and more now. <laughs> Had you, That's awesome. You, it's uh, actually, go ahead, go ahead. Isaiah, I know that well, you, I coached, uh, <laughs> sorry. you coached the Dutch girls, um, for a little bit too, right? Yes. Yeah, um, I was over there for the last five and a half years. Okay. Did you ever do a training camp in Tenerife? Oh yeah, that, every okay. year. How yeah, did uh, think... how does that compare to what you guys did in Brazil? Because I know I was talking to um, Robbie Musen and Alex Brower today, and they are leaving for Tenerife on Sunday, and they're like all the European teams like love going there. So I was wondering yeah. like how how it compared uh, doing a training camp in Brazil versus Tenerife. Because I feel like it's probably a pretty similar vibe. Yeah, I, well, um, to me, they were very different. Um, Tenerife, there are four courts, and booking is always challenging because there's so okay. many teams that want to go. So you get these time slots, and it's like it's a challenge coordinating, like scheduling practices with teams, and you really need to get a head start on it. You can't wait and do it last minute because everything's booked. So <laughs> you really have to be organized and plan well ahead, um, which you know, sometimes that can be a little frustrating if you want to um, be a little more relaxed with it. But um, we, I, we would literally plan two months ahead of time, um, scheduling practices and uh, organizing with other teams who you're going to go with. And 
that's something that's yeah, I don't think that's done here <laughs> at all. Yeah, if you were um, to practice two days ahead of time, you're on the ball. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So and plus, you only get a, um, a an amount of time on the court before the next team shows up and is there. So right. um, you're on a clock, and, and you need to be on time, be efficient, and then you're kicked off when it's when your time's up. So um, it's from that aspect, it's it's a lot different. Um, okay. In Brazil, it's kind of you know way more relaxed, but really efficient, and um, not so many people around. Way more um, secluded, I guess is uh, kind of. I guess those are the main differences that that I experience. Okay, pretty cool. I mean, you've gotten to experience uh, such a wide variety of things as a coach uh, already. Like going to Brazil. I mean, now you're coaching April and Alex. You were overseas in Europe for a while. Um, I'm interested how you ended up partnering with uh, April and Alex, because I know that Jen Cassie moved uh, to Maine. So obviously that would have been pretty tough to coach a team from coast to coast. Um, but how did you end up uh, falling in with April and Alex? Yeah, so this whole COVID situation is kind of what um, put everything into motion. So um, my contract with the Dutch was going to be up at the end of August after the Olympics. Okay. And I had promised my husband, like that was going to, I wouldn't renew again. That would be it. Um, for him working his job, it was really challenging, but he you know, made the sacrifice to do it with me so we could have that experience. And we loved it. We absolutely loved the experience over there. And I, um, yeah, it was, it was incredible. Um, but I promised him like, okay, after August, we'll, we'll move back. Um, and then the Olympics were postponed and <laughs> you've got to be kidding me. Um, and I just couldn't extend it for another year. It just, it wasn't fair to him. And we had the first two years that I was over there, we actually lived apart. He was still in Southern California and I was over there by myself. Yeah. And he would come and visit for a couple weeks and then we'd be apart for a long time. And then he'd come visit. It was really hard. And we said, okay, we're not doing that again. Um, and we, we just couldn't stay. So it was a really hard decision for me to tell, um, to tell my players and other uh, colleagues and whatnot that, you know, we were gonna, we had to make the decision, we couldn't stay. Um, so they were awesome about it, totally understood. And um, yeah, we were, we were sad because it's, it's to not complete a journey that you start with you know, with the people that you spend so much time building trust and all that stuff, it's, it's not an easy decision. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So once we made that, uh, that call, then, um, I was in, in contact with Sean Scott a little bit, just saying, yeah, we're moving back. Um, <laughs> don't really, uh, no, I have no plans, but coming back. And, um, at that point, I think, uh, it just worked out that, um, Jen was moving to I think she had a similar situation and just you know promises to her family and, and the family comes first so um, I think April and Alex were really disappointed you know and I think they would have loved to have continued with Jen but this whole COVID situation just uh, changed the plans for everybody so um, yeah so it just kind of worked out and fell into place yeah, and, uh, you're still still going to be going to the Olympics, just uh, representing a different flag than you planned on the last couple of years. True, that's that's true. Yeah, I think you upgraded for sure. <laughs> <laughs> you get to be home, and you have April Ross on your team. Absolutely, and Alex. Yeah. I'm not not to take anything away from Alex. 
Yeah, no, it did April's feel, April. it felt strange being in Rio wearing orange and um, <laughs> right, right, right. yeah, just being representing a different country. It did feel a little, it was amazing, but it just felt a little different. So yeah, it, it looked weird to me too. Yeah. Cause well, <laughs> cause when you were finishing up your career, your playing career, what was that? 2013? Yep. That was the last year. And that was like my first year with Johnny Hyatt on tour. Yeah, and actually, probably nobody knows, but you were there. The fir my first few sessions that I went to Mikel, I carpooled with you up there. Yep. And we, we were all training buddies. <laughs> yeah, you got to see my first few sessions of Mikel, where he just crushed me. Yep, and was like fully strict on me on all my food and everything. Oh, yeah. When Hayden was on the podcast, he told the story about <laughs> Mikel getting on me. And then John, John and I laughing. <laughs> yeah, you guys were just laughing. I'm like, what is going on here? What do I not know? <laughs> um, Welcome. But, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, I, I thought it would be that hard all the time. And now that time has passed, I realized he was just like kind of testing me to see if yeah. I belonged in the gym. <laughs> putting all that heat rub on me like, oh yeah <laughs> um, you like how did you start with the the dutch team and who exactly what teams were you coaching or were you were you coaching a couple of them kind of in like a tyler hildebrand type role with with the netherlands yeah so the way that the netherlands functions is is different than in the u.s so okay um, it's a coach-driven program, and it's supported by the national governing body. So they hire a head coach, and then like they're they're the employers, not the athletes. So um, when I I was first brought in by Morph Bose, who at the time was the head coach of the program, um, we knew each other from when I was playing. He was coaching uh, Great Britain. Okay. And so as you as you know it's it's somewhat of the traveling circus that we all know each other and um friendly so mm -hmm. morph and i knew each other and um at the time i was working for the world series of beach volleyball okay and we were at that event and he we caught up with each other and he said what are you doing now and, and i had uh, a career ending injury and and just said how much i missed it and you know was starting to coach now and and he asked, well, would you be interested in maybe uh, coming in and being my assistant? And I was like, yeah, sounds very <laughs> interesting. Let's talk. And then five months later, I was moving over to the Netherlands. So um, it was a really cool situation, just how it worked out. And I think originally it was supposed to be maybe short term, like I was offered one 10 month contract. And then uh everybody was happy at the end of it. So we kept, we renewed for another year and then another two years and, you know, six years later or five and a half years later, six seasons, uh, I was still there and they, I basically, um, yeah, I had to make the, the decision to, to leave, but, um, I forget what your initial question was. Now. I was wondering if you, did you coach a specific team or did you okay. have a couple teams that you worked with? Yep. Okay. Um, so anyway, in the, the national team program, uh, when I first went over there and there were, I think two, three top teams. So okay. the two of us together coached the, the three teams. Um, but then there was a, um, a, a conflict with one of the players and, and morph, and they decided it was best if they didn't work together. 
So then we kind of made a decision that I would slide in and just coach that team. And then he would coach the other teams. Okay. So very, I mean, it was four months after I arrived, we ended up like changing direction. And um, instead of coaching together, all the teams, we split up and I was just with the one team. And that was Madeleine Meppelink and Marlene Van Eersel. Okay. Uh, so I was with them for, or through, um, from 2015 uh, mid-season through 2016. Okay. And then at the end of 2016, the um, the federation uh, had a kind of a review and said, okay, we're not doing that again. We have a program. We're going to have a head coach, assistant coach, and we're going to function more like um, like a program. So okay. and not, not individual. So that's when they brought in Richard DeCogle uh, as the head coach. And then I was the assistant coach and he and I uh, had three teams um, splitting together. And then uh, they also have a, the youth program up and coming, but we all would work together to coach everyone. So there was um, not so much separation, but there were 10 total players and just all working together, um, coaching all of the, all the different athletes. Okay. That's such a cool experience. Did you, uh, did you get to work with the Van Drill sisters? Yes. You know, cause wow. Like I watched them at the King of the court and I was like, I don't know who these girls are, but they are phenomenal. Yeah. The Dutch girls work so incredibly hard and just the experience of them, uh, is so different from the American experience. Like they, they don't play at like NCAA, a college team, whatever it's, um, they go to university while they're on, uh, playing for the national in the national program okay so like the the pathway is just so incredibly different um and those girls have been training they've had they've been in the volleyball world training since i think they were 13 years old and uh <laughs> wow. yeah i mean they're just athletic and sweet girls and such hard workers that all i mean all of them are they've got a great group of young talent coming up there and they were really fun to work with yeah, and I, I found myself rooting for him in the King of the Court. I was just like, come on, Van Driels. <laughs> yeah, and it's cool. They're sisters. They get to play together, too. Yeah. Sis yeah. Not twins? No. Nope. Okay, twins. sisters. Yep. Um, but would you say, because obviously we have, like, the college system, and they have um, kind of more of a professional, like, kind of club, like sort of how European soccer teams do it, it sounds like. It's kind of like that academy style. Like, it seems like the – college system here works really well would you say that one is better than the other or if it's just kind of a different way of getting to the same goal well i think it's hard to say one is better than the other i think for the size of the united states then the collegiate way is definitely you know it's because you can have so many different right um pathways coaches and just so many options like that's it makes a lot of sense here um there i think just dealing with the size of the country, you're, you're so much more limited. And um, yeah, they've got talent uh, identification systems in place and they wanna bring the talent in as soon as they're recognized. And the, when that happens, they're not limited by hours in the gym. Um, so you know, they can start training at a pretty high level, pretty young, and as much as they um, can manage uh, their health and school and all those different things, but it's up to them to and their their coach to manage school. So they can say, okay, we're 
uh, we wanted to have all our classes on Mondays so that Tuesday through Friday we're free to train and then they can hit the gym and do, you know, like they have the flexibility um, to be able to manage those types of situations. So it's just different, like NCAA, I don't even know what it is anymore, but I, I, is it 20 hours a week you're allowed to train or something like that? They have, it's different. like in the fall, it, they have eight hours. Um, and then I think during season, it might, might be 20. Um, and then I think they revert back to eight at some point again. Yeah, so the, as far as that goes, there's no restrictions on on time and whatnot. So okay. um, yeah, so they can play and play and play. And uh, but at the same time, like I love the the university uh, system in the United States. I just think it's such. A, I mean, it's a great way to get your education, but also life experience, living on your own, and figuring out time management and um dealing with people and a roommate and being away from home and just all those really important life lessons um i i would always encourage the dutch i'm like look into it if you have athletes that maybe you know like send people over there it's such a great training ground you know like the entire world could actually use the ncaa as uh talent development um if they if they wanted to i think it's just an amazing platform they're starting Uh, to if you look at the college rosters it's crazy you know like florida international um they had one of their girls plays for uh italy um, margarita bianchin and she uh just won a gold in a one star um earlier this year and then you have stetson had this norwegian girl who i think is on their maybe their third team um and then got the McNamara's at UCLA. Um, Tina Gradina is going to be in the Olympics from USC. It's like the college system is becoming like the international talent development pipeline. It's kind of cool to see. Yeah, it's really cool. And I think it's, it's awesome. And just from every aspect too, like creating jobs for more coaches and developing more players and more opportunities for scholarships and just growing the sport and all that. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Did uh, when sure. you were over there? Did you miss home at all? I mean, obviously, when you were you, when you <laughs> and Jeremy were living apart, uh, and I'm sure you missed quite a lot. Um, but were you ever like, man, I wish I could coach a U.S. team? I mean, it seemed like you loved the Dutch experience, but I didn't know if you were ever um, itching to get back to the U.S. Well, the Dutch experience was really perfect for me in the sense that I was a new coach. I went over there as an inexperienced new coach, and I learned so much. Um, I was able to take some of their uh, coach development courses. They were all in Dutch, so I can't say that I actually (laughs) learned so much, but I was learning the language and had people readily available to help me. And the the people that I worked with from Morph to Richard, I learned so much about all the different aspects of, of coaching that are really, really important for the whole overall Uh, picture. It's not just time in the sand, it's everything else. And that was so incredibly valuable for me. Um, I wasn't in any rush to, to push through it and and come home soon uh, by any means. And also Jeremy and I just loved the, the lifestyle of living there. Like it's the Netherlands is such a great, it's a hidden gem of Europe. I I think Um, other than the weather winter is pretty brutal, but I mean, we lived a five minute bike ride to the beach and then 10 minute bike ride to the downtown area, which just had so much culture and um, amazing food and things to do. And 
and the city is beautiful. It's really green. There's trees and, and forests and everywhere. There's, I mean, it's just a gorgeous, beautiful city. And we absolutely loved our time there. The thing that was hard is just being away from friends and family. Yeah. And of course we had a great network of friends there, but they're people that you just met and are just developing relationships with. So having like, you know, your siblings or friends that you've known for 20 years and, you know, those deeper connections, that's what we missed. Um, but everything else, we, we fell in love with the country and, you know, the people are great. They treated us really, they're so welcoming. I loved learning the language. Um, I loved the players working with them. Like it was, it was a really great experience. Yeah. I, I feel like that's such a cool, like coaching sort of like a coaching preparation experience for the role that you're in now. It's like you, you got your coaching degree in the Netherlands, right. you know, and, and now you got your first job's a pretty dang good one as a head coach. <laughs> yeah. And it actually kind of feels that way too. You know, it's um, yeah, I had uh, teams over there too, but this is on my own. Like this is over there. I had colleagues, we were worked together and a lot of the, the whole um, theory there is working together. So, you know, we would even um, work with the men's uh, coaches too. And, um, and it was really like a, a support staff. Um, so learning so much from all of them and then, and how to work with people and how to disagree and have arguments and get back on the same page. And like, for <laughs> me, that was huge because I am a giant conflict coward. <laughs> and, uh, learning how to deal with conflict and and of course i uh, i'm better i'm still i wouldn't call it good but um you know i've made big improvements in that area so i, I couldn't have yeah i i couldn't have done done it without having that experience to just be more brave now for sure what do you think um like what is your how's your day-to-day -day changed as a coach now because like i've always been interested in what these other countries are doing. And, you know, the U.S., I feel like, hasn't totally figured out the perfect system for USA Volleyball in terms of beach. Um, but, like, how different is your day-to-day -day from coaching the way you did, where you, you were the coaching staff working with the player, like the hired coaching staff, or however you said it, uh, versus now it's like the players are almost, like, more – of the employees and the coaches are like brought in individually. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be so different. It's very different for sure. Um, we had a lot, a lot of meetings because you're, you meet with players, you meet with each other, you meet with, um, with your boss, you're meeting with the strength coach and you're meeting with the doctors and like, there's tons of, of meetings because, you know, everybody's working together and you want everybody on the same page and um, doing a lot of, uh, goal setting and adjusting and just all those different things. And it's not just for two, one team or two players, it's for 10 players or however many you have. And you, a lot of the stuff, I mean, it was more like a, a nine to, to five every day. Like, right. you're, yeah, we're in the office. Um, if we're not in the sand in the gym, then we're meeting and um, yeah, doing a lot of the planning and just, talking about uh, you know, evaluations with every team too. So there were, I would say there was a lot more um, structured in the sense of um, always starting with goal setting and then meeting and then 
um, you know, we're in the sand and then we're, you know, evaluating and planning and all, you know, all those different things. It was just, I, I don't have experience at NCAA level, but I imagine it's more similar to coaching a college team than it is a pro team, just with all the different components, working with the team around the team and several players as opposed to just one. Yeah. I feel like you're getting kind of the, the best of both worlds because you're, you got that. I've always been interested in like what they have and whether it's better or worse than what we have, but now you can kind of work between the two. Cause I mean, I like our system cause it's a lot of freedom within the players. Like I'm not, I'm not a, you know, like college system kind of guy where I like it a lot more now that it's all on me to like figure out the coaches and figure out all the, all the, you know, small details, even travel. Not that I want to do that, but like I'd rather take on that responsibility and get all the things that come along with that. Um, but like having the structure and the coaches all communicating with each other, it definitely seems like there's much more efficiency to that system and, and the whole team working together as one versus us who are pretty much just all fighting against each other at the same time. Um, is there one you like more or less or a kind of a balance of the two? Yeah, well, you bring up a really interesting point. And when I look at kind of what's happening, I think like the Dutch way of doing things is really efficient and getting a lot out of the players early, but the burnout or desire to continue playing is much shorter than it is for Americans. Like it's really mm -hmm. common for the, the, you see Americans playing well into their thirties and even forties. And um, that's not very common, I think in, in a, uh, coach-driven program. It's right. so like you said, like players like having that freedom to make their decisions. And when you're uh, on the other side of it and somebody else is telling you where to go, where to be, when, when we're leaving and you aren't making a lot of those decisions, you kind of can feel, um, I don't know, maybe trapped or whatever. Yeah. And I think that contributes to um, a shorter playing career too, because Totally. Like you said, it's uh, you want to decide when you're going to Hawaii. And, uh, right. Yeah. No, I mean, can you imagine Johnny Hayden still playing? Like he's adapted his every year. He's adapted to his own system based on where he's at in his career. I mean, all everyone that's here, you know, they're all doing things differently than they did when they were 30. April's doing things a certain way right now, but in five years, assuming she's still playing, uh, she's going to be doing things differently. And I, I think that adaptation is so important. But if you have the 25-year-olds doing the same thing as the 35-year-olds, that might get old really quick for the 35-year-olds who actually have a lot in their tank. They just need to adapt everything to where they're at in their current circumstances. Yeah. And I think the, the Dutch do a really good job of making those adjustments. You know, like Sonicizer, she's in her mid-30s. Um, and then the Vandriel sisters, you know, like they're not going to be doing the exact same workouts, but because there's two coaches, you ha still have to ma time manage. And so um, making sure that everybody's getting what they, what they need. If you have that many players and, and fewer coaches, you don't have the luxury of saying, okay, this is when I want to train and when I want to go on vacation and when I want to do this, because um, you know, the coach has to be able to manage it all. Um, so there's definite give, give and take 
Um, right. And yeah, I think it's some players, I think, fit well in one style and others fit well in, in another. And I, I think the American way, um, what would be ideal is if younger, younger players kind of learn, you know, they learn how to be professional. They learn what they need. They learn how to make yeah. good decisions. And then once they reach a certain point, then it's like, okay, you've graduated. Now you're on your own. Um, here you go. Yeah. I like that. That's a, that's a good idea. I mean, yeah. Like when I was first coming out, it was like perfect that I picked up John. Right. Like, and, and I got to come train with you and Mikel and everyone. And I'm just like, fully getting a master class and like how to be a professional and do everything the right way. But now if I'm playing with John and he's telling me what to do all the time, it, it would get really old probably. <laughs> <laughs> Actually it did get pretty old by the end of it. <laughs> Not that I still don't want to pick his brain on some stuff now that I'm playing defense, but um, I like that kind of hybrid system. Yeah. It's and an it's, idea. Yeah. It speeds up the, the learning process too. You know, like I, th I think players who play with an experienced partner just it's such an advantage than to younger players who kind of have no idea what they're doing and figuring it out together. But either having a, a coach who can guide you and that's the hard thing, too, is it's expensive to have a coach. So it's an investment in yourself and not everybody has the luxury of being able to afford that. So, right. um, you know, if you can play with an older player, he can teach you those things. then that's one way of kind of shortcutting that as well but guidance that's all you know like the Netherlands is big on having guidance early and often and um, I think in the U.S. we some people can get kind of lost or have a really long slow um, learning curve or you know advancement in their career because they don't have the luxury of guidance either from yeah. coaching or a partner. 100% I feel like one of the biggest inefficiencies for the U.S. has been the fact that we're not using the veterans to build the younger players because we're all against each other, like right? Like Jake Gibb and Phil, they've never helped me all these years, right? <laughs> and I've been the guy that's 10 years under them. Yeah. I feel like a lot of other systems, I don't, I don't know to what extent players help each other, um, like at practice and stuff, but if there was a way, somehow a way to figure that out to where all your older guys are – passing that knowledge down I mean the the program as a whole has got to get a lot better but I haven't yeah. really seen that I don't have you seen that overseas do you feel like it, it was that way yeah and that was the culture that we tried to create too it's like like for the the Dutch women there's Sana Madeline who are the older um mm -hmm. more experienced players but then uh they were the only top team in the program so we needed competition for them so we had to convince them that yeah we need your help in developing these younger players so that they are your competition and they push you and you know like we need them to get better for you to get better and right. you know once players I think can understand that too and not so much see them as their direct competition but as um, you know like the, the old saying a rising tide raises all ships like right you know it's a lot of times I think we're so afraid of our competition when maybe it's better if we embrace it and uh, keep pushing each other so that we all reach you know I'll, I'll get better um, totally. but they did a really great job of that and those young as you saw in the king of the court the young girls were you know, they, they push them for sure. Like there's practices where they beat that, up on yeah. Son and Madeline and 
you know, they learn from it and it just makes them better. So it's, yeah. That's a, I, Brower, I like that Brower and Musen said something similar today. They were like, you know, we're, because, so Render Numidor is now their assistant coach. Mm -hmm. um, and so they were talking about how funny it is that, you know, he was their rival for the longest time and now he's their coach. And he said that now they're training with a lot of the younger guys um in the dutch system and he was like they're starting to like take some sets off of us and while it's great to practice against it's like we don't really want to play against them in a tournament but they also aren't necessarily threatened that they're going to lose their olympic spot to them and i think brandy um wilkerson and and heather i talked to them when they were in rio actually because i did a story on them and uh they were talking about how it's like kind of nice that they don't have as much competition for Olympic spots as there are in the U S because like you can have a more communal uh, sort of country oriented atmosphere where you're sort of getting that rising tide lifts all boats. Cause you can have good teams to train against while not necessarily looking at them as your rival. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that's one, it, one sense for the Americans. It's like, you're always being pushed because you always have that competition. And then on the other side, there's a little bit of that safety and security. So you wonder, okay, what, what is better having the security or being pushed out of your comfort zone constantly? Right. Right. Totally. It's an ego trip. Well, it's also, we Americans have the AVP, right? So it kind of like throws a lot on top of that because now you cut out all the other teams and, and these guys are your direct competition to win that event. Like, you know, you're going to hit those top four teams, you know, uh, pretty much every AVP. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's tricky, but I, I like the idea of, you know, helping everyone out and hoping that you helping them helps you to get better and whatnot. Yeah, and, and I, like you mentioned before, like, you know, your direct competition, the guys who are your same age or whatever, I, I understand there's a little, uh, you know, it's probably not such a great training environment for everybody. But when you have a 10 year age gap and you know, like, okay, this right, person's right. at the end and the other's either just starting out or still ripe and in, uh, in the midst of their career, then, you know. I do have a 10 year age gap on all of them. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like a veteran. It's really weird. But try it. You're so good at picking, picking people's brains, you know, like you've got this right, podcast, yeah. you get them on and that's where you get their secrets. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah. <laughs> some of them, some of them aren't giving up quite as much. I try to get on and then have Travis ask the right questions. Yeah. It comes he, to me, he sends it's me not in. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you guys going to take a quick break to give a shout out to our sponsors. But before we do, as always got to give a shout out to you guys, the ones who are listening to the show. I hope you guys have uh, had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you have a great holiday season coming up, no matter what you celebrate. Uh, I hope you're all getting a good chance to uh, to relax and rest and enjoy the rest of this insane year. Uh, but for now, Try is going to give you a word from Wilson and a fun new holiday deal that they have going on through the end of December. How's it going, Sandcast peeps? just wanted to take a quick break in the show to let you know about a holiday savings opportunity presented to you by our friends over at Wilson Sporting Goods. Here's the deal. You buy two OPTX, also known as Optics Beach Volleyballs, you get one 35% off. Basically, if you spend $100 on volleyball, basketball, football, or soccer products, you'll receive a 35% off coupon in the new year. An Optics Volleyball right now is $64.99. 
So if you buy two, you get a 35% off coupon emailed to you in January. Solid deal there from our pals over at Wilson. So get on it and uh, hook your friends up with a volleyball or two. All right, back to the show. Not quite back to the show just yet. We have a new sponsor on board. We have Kamena Clothing. Uh, Dave Kamena has been one of the, he's just such a, a huge beach volley enthusiast. He's at all sorts of clothes or all sorts of tournaments. Uh, he has a great brand. They make some of the best clothes, but today I want to talk to you about the backpack that they have. Now, Dave has been updating and improving this backpack specifically for ball, for volleyball for 17 years. Uh, I, I don't think any other outdoor brand can say that 17 years is a long time he has bomb proof construction backed by an american company that answers your calls and emails so you can buy either one pack and have it for the long term and i know because delaney has one and i also have one and i use it literally every day at the beach never falls apart it's not faded by the sun so you can get one backpack here at Kamena that will last literally a lifetime or you can get the cheap stuff that's made in china and it'll break down every year and so shop at Kamena. All right. So you can email Dave K at plasticclothing.com. And if you want a, if you're a team and you're looking to get packs, he can customize your pack and you can get a team or club discount. So again, that is Dave K at plasticclothing.com. You can go to KamenaOutdoor.com and go to their shop. You can get all of their accessories there. But for now, the, the pack is one of the best uh, I've seen on the beach. It's one of the best I've used, and I've gone through quite a few uh, in my not-so-extensive career on the beach, but I use packs all the time, whether I'm hiking, backpacking, on the beach, and is the best one that I've ever used. So check them out, KamenaOutdoor.com, and get yourself a new backpack today. And now, back to the show. I feel like this little kind of... I don't even want to call it like an off season, sort of like a end of a very bizarre season heading into preseason is such a good way for you to start with a new team. Cause you can, it's sort of like you can, have, you can try out a couple things, get used to each other, like go on a trip, which I think is the best way to get to know people have Alex cook up a storm in Rio. Um, and you can kind of learn, like kind of feel each other out and your personalities. So you can go into the full preseason having a pretty good idea of how to be successful as a team. I don't know if you've kind of uh, used the last couple of weeks or months um, to kind of look at it as, okay, how can we build up steam into the preseason so we can have like a great 2021? Yeah. Yeah. And those are, those are the conversations that, that we've had too. And like you said, that's so important. And the traveling thing was huge. That is how you get to know people better. And I think that trip for us was extremely important and it accomplished what we wanted it to accomplish. Um, so from from that standpoint, I'm really, really happy. Um, and it also kind of gave us some new things to think about, some new directions to maybe um, look into. And uh, yeah, it was just extremely valuable. And now we're coming, you know, closing out this, this training block and getting ready for uh for what's to come next year and um yeah i mean taking a look at the the schedule and what's in reality going going to happen versus the proposal we have no idea um but so many great lessons in adapting like okay what's the situation we're going to prepare as if it's happening if something doesn't then we shift and um yeah it's just 
there's so many unknowns and it's so challenging, but um, it's forced us into more communication, more reasons to connect and talk through things, how we're thinking about things, um, which has, like you said, that has helped, I think, fast track because there's just no, no certainty. It's like, okay, we have to constantly be right. in communication about all the different changes happening. So yeah, I think it, it has been beneficial for us. Yeah. How, uh, how do you come in to coach a team like April and Alex who are, I mean, they've been since they started playing in 2017, they've just been like on this really steady trajectory to the point where they are now where they're arguably the best team in the world they won all three AVP Champions Cups. As a coach, you come in and obviously not a whole lot has to be changed there. Um, but I'm sure that they're looking to you for any kind of insight or maybe just a little bit different perspective. Um, so we've had similar conversations with Rich Lamborn. He's like, what am I supposed to tell Jake Gibb about his blocking? You know, but I can offer some things. So I'm curious how you approach coaching a team that is almost like in a way peaking already. Yeah, well, I think you kind of nailed it. Like my whole perspective coming in was, okay, uh, this team has a recipe that's working. And so I'm not about to throw different ingredients in there. And <laughs> <Yeah>. screw <it> up. <laughs> um, but like you said, it is about just offering a different perspective. And um, for me, a lot of the things like um, that I coach on are just maybe different ideas and different ways of thinking about it but not necessarily it must be done this way. You know, it's, it's not how, that's not my approach, but you know, if, if there's a different way of doing it and um, a different way of thinking about something, then those are the types of things and conversations that we have. Um, and also uh, just the planning and stuff that, um, that goes into it. Like I'm, I'm pretty structured with uh, you know, with, the plan going in with each training block and all that. So um, getting them used to, to that sort of thing and, and bringing all the different um, professionals who they work with. So, you know, Christian with the strength and conditioning and, uh, and RV with PT and just bringing everybody together, making sure everybody's on the same page. So it's a cohesive training environment. Um, yeah. Those are kind of the, the main things at the moment yeah i feel like it's it's such a cool um job that you have because I, I feel like you know this will also set you up not just for you know the success with april and alex but as a coach in the u.s i mean this is the that's the highest promotion you can get and it's so crazy because you kind of quit volleyball uh so long ago uh, when you retired from indoor in switzerland and, and you were trying to be a runner um, <laughs> if I recall correctly, um, you've had quite the journey and I wanted to kind of get into your story a little bit. We've talked so much about everyone you've coached, but, um, did you, when you kind of retired from indoor after your career in Switzerland, which it was Switzerland, right? Yeah. Um, did you imagine getting into beach, like just taking a year off to pursue running? Your facial expression says it all. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. I, I've, I thought I was done with volleyball for the rest of my life. I was just, I was done. My husband was playing football at the time and one of his teammates wife was training for the Olympics um, for the 800. And uh, yeah, she was training for Great Britain. She was okay. a runner and we were friends. And so she would drag me out on some of her training runs and I would just be crushed and dying. But 
The 800 is brutal. Yeah. <laughs> it's a terrible event. <laughs> <laughs> she would take me on these long training runs or tempo runs or whatever, and I would be absolutely dying, but I kind of like that stuff. Like I, I love the challenge of just feeling utter exhaustion and going beyond what I think I can do. So I got hooked. And then she talked me into running a marathon. I did that, loved it. Um, and then just started running a lot of road races. And I thought, I'm going to be a runner for the rest of my life. Like, this yeah. is great. Yeah. <laughs> um, my body didn't end up liking it so much. But um, yeah, I, I, that was kind of the path I was on. And then uh, my husband was in, um, he was in Oakland. So we were, we were living in San Francisco. I had a job at Lehman Brothers, was working there. And then my college roommate, Jamie Lee, kind of out of the blue, just calls me up one day and says, do you want to try playing beach volleyball? And I had been working in an office, which that's not for me. That was my first real experience. And I was there a year and a half of, of sitting at a desk every day. Um, and I immediately said, yes, yes, I want to try it. But then in the back of my mind, I had also been doing kickboxing. And so I was like, hmm, we'll move to Long Beach. I will secretly um, become a stunt woman and <laughs> learn, you know, like do all this fighting stuff. And then, you know, I'll try beach volleyball, but I probably won't like it. But then after like two days in the sand, I was like, yes, this is for me. I love it. And that was it. Never looked back. That is right. so funny. So beach volleyball is like your quadruple backup to running and stunt womaning. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. But then I, I'm so jealous of all the uh, young girls who find it at like 13 years old or young. Like right. I, my very first time playing beach volleyball ever in the sand was at 26 years old. That so. is incredible. Yeah, a really, really wow. late start. Wasted a lot of years in there. Yeah, well, no burnout. No chance of burnout then, I don't think. <laughs> and I think, you know, sometimes, you know, a lot of people say that, you know, it's really fortunate for young girls to just like specialize in beach early or basketball, or whatever it may be. But I think it's also a blessing in disguise to discover that passion a little bit later. Because at the point where a lot of people would burn out, like you're still going to be all in. And like every time I see you at the beach, you're always like all smiles, like so stoked to be there. And so I don't know, I just can't see, I can't envision burnout anytime soon for you. Yeah. No, and you're absolutely right. Like I, I, we all probably grew up as two or three sport athletes. I know, um, I think our generation and you guys are a lot younger than I am, but um, I think you're still even kind of plumped into that but you know we played other sports basketball volleyball track whatever you know like we were doing other things and I just think that that like you said it's so important for um just for your body too like developing overall athleticism and avoiding overuse injuries and all those different things um so I'm not a fan of the early specialization by no means but I think 26 is a little late <laughs> Two years earlier than uh, Mike Whitmarsh, though, I think he got it when he he found him. He was 28, and oh, he ended wow. up winning a, an Olympic silver. Yeah, yeah. I'll have to. I'm sure a couple of listeners will fact check that if it's wrong. So <laughs> I'll have to follow up. But that's really cool. Like, how long did? Because I mean, obviously, you had a good foundation of general volleyball skills with indoor. Um, but how long did it take you to kind of make that transition from? I mean, you, I guess you took a year off anyway from to to go run. Um, 
but how long did you start to feel comfortable on the sand? Because you were, I mean, you were rookie of the year, your first year on the AVP, which is pretty impressive, Angie. <laughs> well, it was, it was an interesting journey. So when Jamie and I, we or actually she never ended up moving to Southern California, but Jeremy and I did. And um, this was in 2001 in September, actually a few days before 9-11. Um, during 9-11, Jamie was actually in the Paris airport with the UCLA men's volleyball team. And they were stuck there for a number of days. Um, and she ended up running into, I think they might've been on the same flight or whatever, but ended up talking to quite a few of the guys. Um, so when I moved out to Southern California, didn't know a soul, didn't know anyone. And I was like, what am I going to do? I don't know anybody. <laughs> How do I train? I don't, I have no idea what I'm doing. She called up UCLA and John Sparrow answered the phone. And she asked, uh, I think he was the volunteer assistant at the time. I, I'm not positive on that, but I think that's, that was the case. Um, and, the, and she asked like, hey, do any of your players want to come out to the beach and help uh, my friend and I, like we want to try and play beach volleyball. And he said, well, I'll come and I'll bring my roommate. And his roommate was Jeff Nygaard. So <laughs> my very first day on the beach was with John Sparrow and Jeff Nygaard. And ended up, they're two of my very dear friends now. Um, Jeff ended up coaching me three times a week for the next six months. And short, like within two months, John Hyden moved out and he joined us. So my first training partners were John Hyden, John Sparrow, and Jeff Nygaard. So that was not a, bit bad. Of, a bit of a fast track. Um, and then they would constantly be like, I was so shy to just incredibly shy to ask for phone numbers of people like, Hey, can I play with you guys? They would drag me over and, and make me get girls numbers and call them. And it was quite funny. Um, but then randomly Holly McPeak had heard that Jamie moved out. Jamie didn't, I did, but she called my house inviting her to a camp that she was, she was going to hold a rookies camp week long, double days. Um, yeah, That's just awesome. intensive awesome. for a small group. So I called her back and I said, well, Jamie doesn't live here, but I do. And I really want to come. Can I come? And she was like, <laughs> yeah, I'll sign you up. So I ended up doing that with Holly for a week. And from then she kind of became my mentor too, as well. So I had, just got so incredibly lucky with the people who were guiding me early in my career and just helped with decision making and training and just all that stuff it was like i look back now and i am like wow like that's <laughs> i can't believe all those things happened <laughs> but it was truly um just one blessing after another really that is a pretty good group to get in with early yeah <laughs> At what point did you uh, start hitting it with Mikel in the gym? We've had him on the podcast as well. You did have, have him on. to listen to that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I started with Mikel. Gosh, I, I worked with him my last three years. So okay. I think John had already been with him for two or three. And mm -hmm. then uh, he's like, you really need to come see my guy. And I'm like, okay, I'll come in. And then, yeah. yeah, I love him. It was from day one. I was like, yep. Okay. He's my guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's a good Sounds one. All right. Did you have ever have aspirations of making the Olympics as a player? Oh, absolutely. 
Absolutely. Yeah, that was um, kind of the dream goal, the dream goal for sure. Um, and when I look back now, I kind of laugh at myself. I'm like, okay, but no, like, no clear direction path of, you know, like somebody really guiding me on everything of what it takes, what it really means, all those different things. Um, so yeah, I, I mean, it's, I call it the dream goal. Um, but yeah, it was uh, not, not quite within reach. Um, yeah. Tyra Turner and I had really good years in 2009 and 2010. Um, it, after 2009 season, we were ranked fifth uh, world ranking. And then after 2010, um, we were seventh. Um, and then Tyra got pregnant and, um, and then I kind of started over. So at that point, then it was a little bit of a lost cause, but still the dream, you know, the dream yeah. of yeah. doing it. So I wanted to finish out the quad and still say that I did everything that I could to go for it. So I still played um, the next two years FIVB and uh, yeah, didn't, didn't go so well, but. <laughs> it's, it's so crazy how much different having a family is for women than for men, you know, cause like, that's just the worst timing to have a, a kid the second year or the second half of a quad. Cause then you had to start over. Um, but like, try didn't have to think about it, you know, with Naya. <laughs> I thought about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of you didn't have to take two years off. <laughs> no, I was in season when my daughter was born and then I went and played a tournament two days later. So yeah, definitely crazy. different. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very different for, uh, for the men and the women. That's for sure. Yeah, definitely. But you got to, got to go to the Olympics as a coach. Rio was your first. Yep. Okay. That was probably yep. a co pretty cool experience. I bet. It was, it was a really, really cool experience. Um, like I said, it, what made it even well, just a little strange was wearing orange and not, um, yeah. not for USA, but, um, and the, if there was a little bit of a disconnect just because everything was in Dutch too. So all of our welcome stuff, everything. And, you know, I've, I've learned the language by no means am I anywhere close to fluent, but I can kind of stumble my way through some stuff, but not enough to fully grasp and understand everything that was was being said. So it felt there was a definite disconnect. It wasn't um, not the same as experiencing it with your own country and in your own native language and and all that sort of stuff. So, but it, it was absolutely incredible, and it's so inspiring to be around all the different athletes from different sports too, and just seeing you know all the different methods of training and all of it it was really it was so cool yeah it was, uh, it was definitely a neat experience and i can have uh the experience with your own country uh soon enough fingers crossed if uh if COVID just cuts it out and yeah. uh, <laughs> stops yeah. acting up it's gonna be a completely different experience not just because you're for the u.s now but i mean you know all the I'm, I'm imagining that the opening ceremonies and, and all that pageantry stuff is going to be a lot different this time. So it might be an interesting comparison and hopefully I'm right there with you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm so interested to see what sort of protocols are going to put in place and how things are going to move forward. But yeah, it I think we're all in for surprise. Yeah, exactly. But like, so we did the AVPs, right? Where they were in... Um, whatever our bubble and there was no fans and whatnot and 
uh, in a lot of ways, it just made it a, like almost less pressure and less distraction. And that's like the craziest thing at the Olympics, right? Is the distraction of the fans and the, all the festivities going on around you. But I mean, it could be easier in that sense. Like if they just eliminate all the craziness and just focus on playing and you don't have the fans and whatnot, could help some people. Yeah, it's definitely uh, going to be a different experience. Right. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, I don't, nobody's ever been in this situation before, so yeah. we don't even know how to prepare Perfect. for it. <laughs> Uncharted territory. Yeah. It's a good one for it to be your first then, or for, for it to be my first, if, if I can make it, because I won't have anything to compare it to. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and all the athletes that are veterans in it, will be it'll be their first in some ways too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what's next for you? Um, so you have this, the tournament, uh, the mini tournament in Hermosa, um, which I'm sure I'll probably see you down there tomorrow. Um, but, and then once that's over, you guys taking a little break until, uh, I don't know when your, the preseason would start up. I don't know if, if you guys have heard anything with the FIVB when that schedule would be kind of getting going again. Yeah. So the plan is to, uh, work through this week and then we'll take a five week break and, recharge and um, start back um, mid-January and then just have a slow build up. Um, I did see a preliminary FIVB calendar for next year and it looks like um, I think it's Mexico might be uh, the end of March. It's a possibility. So okay. I think that's what it was. Um, so that'll be our first uh, your first target on there. And, Did you see yeah. the men? Uh, the men usually run Doha before that. Yeah, that know? was on there. That was on there. Okay. Yep. There we go. Try smiling. <laughs> Got competition. Yeah. <laughs> Training for something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we just train. We uh, put some targets out there and start working. Yep. Awesome. Just as needed. Yeah, and uh, I think adapting will be uh, pretty crucial uh, in these next six or seven months before Tokyo, whenever whenever Tokyo does happen. Um, but welcome home. Glad uh, glad you picked up uh, an, a decent team to start out with here in the states. Um, and congrats uh, on on the coaching gig here. I know that uh, coaching for the U.S. is probably a pretty cool thing for you to do. Thank you guys. Thank you so much. And I'm honored to be here on your podcast. So thank honored you for to having have you. me. <laughs> yeah, we're stoked. Stoked yeah. to have you back at USA Bali. I'll be seeing you around a lot for sure. Yep. I look forward to it. And uh -huh. for our listeners uh, who do not follow you at the moment, where can they follow along the journey of Angie Akers? Are you, I don't know if you're on social or anything. Oh, well, I... Um, I am kind of like a Twitter stalker. I don't really post <laughs> much, um, but I'm at Angie Akers and I have an Instagram account. I don't really post to it. Again, I'm just kind of a, a little bit of a stalker. So <laughs> I, I'm not active on social media. Um, I, I'm actually going to be deleting my Facebook accounts. Uh, I haven't opened them in almost four years. So it's hey, a really good call. <laughs> well, you can follow through Alex and April, I'm sure. That's right. That's probably sure the best bet. To their stories. Yeah. Yep. I try and stay behind the camera as much as possible, but uh, sometimes they don't, they don't let me. <laughs> right. Love it. Awesome. Well, Ange, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I'm sure I'll be seeing you uh, in the next day or two. And yep. uh, try. Good to see you back in Hawaii. 
nice and warm and yes, toasty sir. out there <laughs> yeah doing good doing good andy good time thanks for coming on thank you guys so much shoots guys shoots